Hey, 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 and welcome to Insurance Town. I'm the Mayor Heath Sheeran and the host of this podcast. Guys, I am super excited you're here hanging out with the Mayor in Insurance Town. And today we're going to have a little fun with a little throwback. Uh, We did early on, we had a lot of requests for uh, information or for a podcast about uh, personality tests and the Enneagram in specific. And so I brought on a phenomenal man, a good trainer in this, someone who knows it backwards and forwards in Ryan Mayfield. And it was so good. And I had such a good feedback that first episode that I had to record a bonus with him for the very next week for him to come on and continue to talk about. And if you're familiar with the Enneagram, you're going to love to hear this because you get to hear a little deeper insight into what each number means and how they relate to other numbers. Super cool stuff here. And so when I released uh, some information recently uh, about me doing a question and answer series or um, ask, you know, the mayor things. I got several emails from you uh, about that very thing again. So uh, what I wanted to do was uh, put those two episodes together into one and do a little remix of it and let you hear from Ryan again about the Enneagram, about how important that is for your sales culture and for your team. It really is super cool. And it's going to help you uh, if you manage an agency, or if you manage people, or you're a salesman, even for that matter, this information that you hear in this podcast can be crucial to your success. And I think it's just going to be a different insight to help you out as you're hiring someone even, or, you know, uh, identifying your prospects or qualifying your prospects. People hear and be identified these different numbers and how to relate to them. I could go on and on, but it'd be better just to let you hear it from Mayfield. Um, This episode, although it is a remix and it is an episode that we're uh, bring it back from the vault. It is sponsored by Smart Choice, the fastest growing agency network for a reason. They have no linked contracts, no upfront fees, bonus and contingency sharing. And uh, what they want to do there is they just want to partner with your agency to make you better. Uh, they don't want to take any money out of your pocket already of existing business or existing uh, carriers you write with. Just any carrier they provide you, they're going to do a little bit of a split with you and they're going to help you out that way. They also want to help you by negotiating uh, higher commissions, lower uh, you know, requirements and premium thresholds and all of those things. It is uh, awesome working with them. Smartchoiceagents.com. You got to check it out. Also, I got to talk to you about my good friends over at CoverDesk. CoverDesk is a phenomenal uh, virtual assistant platform for you to help you and your agency to get rid of some of those administrative tasks that you have every day to to streamline and to help your team to do what they do best, which is sell and build relationships with the customers. Uh, I'm not going to do the uh, mid-roll. Uh, ad this week. So I'm going to go through my other two sponsors and I want you to hear me out on these because they are phenomenal. Don't fast forward yet to Ryan. Just hear me out for a minute. Canopy Connect. If you want to go to usecanopy.com backslash Heath, get a demo, check out the pricing. They are your one-click solution to getting those deck pages that you need to quote your prospect. I, uh, I can't say enough. They've been with me from Jump Street. They're a phenomenal partner. So many of you who've reached out to all my partners say thank you. This is the one I've gotten the longest because they've been with me the longest. Tolga, Casey, Robert, the team, they're they're amazing to work with. So reach out to them. Use Canopy backslash Heath. Lastly, my newest sponsor that I'm so proud of, a good friend of mine, 
uh, Kelly Donahue-Piro of Agency Performance Partners. They are uh, your agency consultant that comes in alongside your team to help you to become ridiculously amazing. And they do that by helping you with time management, with sales, and with helping you once you get that sale to help with retention. They teach these courses and they have a a do-it-yourself model where you can go online at your own pace, walk through these courses. They have a leadership guide to tell you how to do it. And they, they have a new course every quarter. You, if your team needs some training, if you brought on somebody new and you've already been through the trainings, this is a great opportunity for you to put them through that. It's only $245 a month and it's phenomenal. Like I said, think about for Netflix for insurance. Uh, you're going to go through that. They also offer live and virtual trainings. You uh, are going to be so happy that you uh, check them out. So go to their website, agencyperformancepartners.com. Take a look at it, look around and see. Uh, follow up with them. Uh, they've got uh, you know the contact information there, or you can just reach out to me, uh, and I will be able to uh, point you in the right direction. That's Heath at insurancetownpodcast.com. Now, and now that we've gone through that, and I wanted to give them their due before we get started, because uh, first and foremost, I could not do this show without them. They love you. Uh, they want to work with you guys. So please, even if you don't have any desire to work with them, at least reach out to them and say thank you for being a part of the show uh, or hear them out. Go through a demo. What's it going to hurt to check out a demo? So uh, go to any one of those websites, check it out. Uh, you're going to be so proud that you did. And a lot of times if you mention my name, you'll probably get a discount. <laughs> it's awesome. So on to today's show, Ryan Mayfield, uh, who is uh, just an absolute guru when it comes to the Enneagram. And I, I think you're going to be really impressed with this guy and what he does for uh, explaining this a little bit better and um, knowing what the Enneagram means, what those numbers mean. So he's the owner of Evergreen. So uh, you can go to EVRGRN teams.com. He got a little fancy with the spelling there. Uh, he's so involved uh, in the community. You're just going to love this guy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with my main man, Ryan Mayfield. Hey, Ryan. How you doing, bud? Doing okay. Yeah? How's COVID treating you? Man, uh, it could be a lot worse. You know, it's obviously not fun, but uh, I've got a lot to be thankful for. And yeah, it could be worse. There you go. I know you're a busy guy. I know you got a lot going on, but I do want you to take us down memory lane. Let's tell about your life and uh, what made you who you are. Yeah. So, you know, without making this a 17 hour podcast, I'll try to uh, try to go through some of that. I uh, grew up in Southwest Missouri. Uh, I don't even know if you knew that about me or not, but uh, that's where I, I grew up like when I was really young. I spent all my summers in Oklahoma with my grandparents. Uh, and then after I graduated from high school, moved to Oklahoma and went to school at Tulsa. I uh, got a degree from, from the University of Tulsa. Uh, and then after that, uh, moved overseas for about four years, actually in India. Got to do a lot of cool stuff there. Uh, did everything from coaching uh, basketball and professional football to coffee exporting uh, and working with Walmart supplier vendors before moving back to Arkansas. And uh, well, not back to Arkansas. I've never lived here before, but I've been here, uh, gosh, five and a half, 
six years now. So that's the short version. <laughs> what makes the Enneagram what you leaned forward towards and what you ran with? Because I know that's the basis behind all of Evergreen and what yeah. you do everything with. So, yeah, there's kind of two two different parts to that answer. First of all, um, I don't think that there's a direct correlation between like, yeah, if you're a D or a C or whatever on this test, it means you're going to be a, a three or a five on the Enneagram. Um, I think there's probably some some strong relations, but it's not any guarantee, right? So I think you can be any DISC profile or and any Enneagram number, even though some might skew towards certain things. Does that kind of make sense? Um, so Yeah, it does. It does totally. Okay. So that said, uh, the reason why I really jumped on with, with Enneagram stuff after going through all the others, um, I don't know if you've had this experience, right, where you do one of those assessments and uh, usually a couple of things happen. First of all, it's can be great, right? You can be like, yeah, that's really insightful. Uh, but it can also be not fun at all, right? I don't, I feel like every time I've done one of those prior to Enneagram stuff, it was like, okay, everybody's got their results and now we're going to go around the room and read them. And everybody talks about how awesome they are. And then you get to mine and it just feels like you're, you know, I read it and it's like, you're a terrible person. You should probably just stop, you know? Uh, and so I don't know if you have <laughs> right? yeah. that kind of an experience. Um, so, but it, I joke, but it can be helpful, right? But the other thing that tends to happen is you take one of those assessments and it creates some really good conversation, maybe that night, that weekend for a couple of days, but then everybody goes back to what they were doing, right? And so two weeks later, no one cares anymore. And right. when we did Enneagram stuff, um, a week later, we were still talking about it and Two weeks later and four weeks later and three months later, we were still talking about it. And not only well, that, if I could stop you for people. Yeah. yeah. If I could stop you for a minute, uh, you know, my wife and I, after I read all your stuff on LinkedIn, by the way, guys, you ought to follow this guy on LinkedIn if you want to learn more about it. But and I read your articles and I went through it. I finally just told my wife, we're going to take this test and see what this is about. So we found one of those fruit, free ones on like some website and, uh, I took it and we've, this has been two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and we're still talking about it today and like still do some as go, like, oh, there's the four in you, you know, coming out or still be like, oh, there's that eight and you were three in you, whatever. And so you're right. When I took the disc, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm I, whatever. And somebody would say, oh, I'm a D, that means I'm dominating, whatever. But yeah. like you said, with this, because it's so, and I want to, I want you to tell more about this because it's so multifaceted and there's so many different circles. And anyway, there's yeah. so much cool about it. It does make you talk about it. And as I told you off air, I sent it on to several of my friends to see what theirs were. And we've been texting back and forth about it. And it's cool to find someone like you that you want to talk about, Hey, here's what I'm dealing with as a three. What do you deal with in this? How do you handle this? You're right. I could see where it'd be great for team control, team management and team building. So, um, I guess for the audience that doesn't know anything about the Enneagram, can you tell a little history about the Enneagram? Maybe make it sexy for a minute and talk about it. <laughs> uh, let's go from there a minute before we get into some of the other things. Yeah, for sure. So the Enneagram, if you're not familiar with it, is uh, you could say similar to some of those other personality typing systems like DISC or Myers-Briggs, but it has some some very big differences that kind of set it apart. I even struggle to call it exactly a personality assessment. Um, Probably one of the 
best ways I've heard it described is that the Enneagram gives you kind of nine different lenses through which different people see the world, right? I kind of have my way of seeing the world. You kind of have yours. And so it's not just about personality. It's about who you are at your core and what drives you and what are the intrinsic questions that you ask to try and find your own worth and value and, and uh, how you experience conflict and how you communicate with people. And so it's, like you said, has a lot of different facets to it. But probably the biggest differentiator for me is that where something like DISC, and I'm not trying to knock DISC, I think it has tons of great applications, but where it's hugely different in my opinion is that a lot of those other ones look at kind of external behaviors, like what you do, your your traits, your actions, right? Your habits. Whereas Enneagram looks a lot more intrinsically or internal motivations rather than the external actions. And that's a whole deeper level uh, of, of self-reflection and introspection. Uh, and so it can be really useful for your own personal growth, for relationships, for work. I think that's one of the reasons why it gets talked about so much is because it has such a wide range of applications, not just in your office, but also in your marriages and friendships and personal growth and development. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. And, you know, going back to from what I've read about it, like I said, I'm addicted, not addicted to it, but I'm obsessed with it right now since I took the test a couple weeks ago. But I understand there's the instinctive center, the feeling center, and the thinking center, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, and you're right. it applies to my marriage. My wife and I talk about it almost every night now. And yeah. then, you know, I, I think about it in my own team. And I'm going to talk to my boss about, you know, and you and I can talk about that off air. But and I, I think it would work well with agencies that are listening to this, um, agency owners, principals, anybody's listening. This would be a great opportunity for you to think about your team and how you relate to each other. I think it'd be really cool. But, you know, I wonder, because with Evergreen, you work with not just small companies. You work with restaurants, with colleges, with churches. I mean, it's a wide – tell me about that a little bit, about the different types of people you're working with and how that works and what Evergreen does exactly. Yeah, so I tell people that I like to work with teams of about five or more. You know, that's not a hard and fast rule, but but I, I want to work with anybody that cares deeply about company culture, right? About investing in their people in such a way that it kind of raises the bar for everybody. And so that can be, uh, like you said, churches or colleges or whatever. But I've also worked with insurance agencies like like you. I've, I've worked with uh, restaurants and tax agencies and uh, car wash companies. And I mean, just all across the board, any company that cares about investing in its people and building a great culture to work for, that's who I want to work with. Okay. So, with that being said, uh, let's dive in for just a minute. Um, there are nine personality traits, correct? Or how do you say nine, that? Nine. I would say nine uh, basic profiles. Nine basic profiles. And uh, so can you walk through those nine and maybe even give the title, maybe some general characteristics about each one of those? Yeah. And just so we're clear, I mean, I say nine basic profiles because each one of these can splinter down into at least three other profiles. One of them goes down into like six other profiles. I mean, it gets it gets real granular real quick if you let it, but we won't do that here. Let, let's keep it high level, keep it sexy and keep it fun. 
Absolutely. But yeah, let's let's dive into these nine because again, they're fascinating. And I'm hoping yeah. that if you're listening to this, you're going to go back and take this after he talks about this and you can relate and go back to this podcast and let's do it again. So the easiest way to go through these at a high level is to talk about kind of the core need of each one, right? Like the main driving thing that each one of these profiles needs in life. And so if we start at the top, if we start with number one, which I'm an Enneagram type one, by the way, uh, and you'll know this just from working with me, you'll, you'll think this is pretty accurate, is uh, Enneagram ones have the need to be right, to be accurate, right? That's their, their driving kind of compulsion, right? And um, right. yeah, they have, they, they have that need. Uh, I'm sure you have experienced <laughs> that uh, working with me. Um, so that's the type one type two has the need to be needed, right? T- twos need to be needed by others. They really want to serve and help and, and come alongside others, right? Type threes have the need to achieve or to perform, right? They want to look successful and, and get the trophy, you know, that's a type three. So that's me, by the way, I'm going to okay. pause you at three because when I took this, it, it, it's funny that you said it the way you did. Say that again, uh, what you said about the threes. Uh, the type threes, their core need is to perform or to achieve. They want to win, right? If you've ever seen right. uh, that movie, what is it, Talladega Nights? I hate yes. that movie. But, um, <laughs> but that's one of the most quotable lines is, what does he say? If you're not first, you're last. If and, you're not first, you're last. That's exactly right. Uh, it's and, funny you say that. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Because I am a three and my wife and I joke a lot because we can't play games together because I take it to that another level and I have to beat her. And yeah. like when I'm playing with my kids, I, I mean, I don't want to beat. I just want to smash their throats in and like I want to <laughs> step on them and be like, I'm killing you. But that's just my personality. I'm success oriented. I want, I'm driven to that. I don't want to just do well. I want to do really well. And that doesn't always work out for me. But it's funny you say that in the way you said, I want that trophy and I want that to succeed in that. But that can also have its negative points too, obviously. But um, yeah, so you probably, you know, maybe or may not seen that in me as well. But uh, that's my thing. So I'll let you keep going with the fours on. Well, just before we go even too deep into that, just so it doesn't get too complex, like think about if you're trying to motivate people on it. And we've just talked about three of them right now. One of them's motivated by doing things the right way. One of them's motivated by opportunities to help people. And the other one is op- is motivated by opportunities to achieve and get rewards and things like that. If you got a team full of people and you're only trying to motivate with rewards and, and stickers and trophies, you're only motivating one type of person, right? And so if we will think more holistically about leadership and team development and motivation, that's a game changer. You're exactly right. And I think too many agency principals that are listening to this or managers in the offices don't think or don't think about that. They realize, well, if I'm motivated that way, then everybody's motivated that way. Um, If I want to win and put my foot on someone's throat, everybody does, but that's not the case. Well, and think about the downstream impact that has on an agency. If the lead agent is that way, then they're probably only going to hire agents that work that way. And they're only going to attract clients who connect with that way of working, right? You're exactly right. Uh, And especially in agencies, um, big or small in the insurance world, there's so many different types of personalities that work well in that. You have your customer service people, 
your salespeople who are probably driven more like me. If I got to win, I got to win. I want to hunt and yeah. win. And then you've got your, you know, your people who deal with just the service side of it. And, you know, they want to help when someone's calling about a claim and they, they really need to be empathetic and they need to think a certain way. So I think, you know, already in the first few minutes we've been talking about this, I think there's already a, a seen need there that you could help a lot of agencies in this. But um, I would love for you to continue on with some of this because yeah. I'm already, I mean, I'm all in, guys. If you haven't, <laughs> if you can't tell, the mayor is all in on this. I'm loving it. Yeah. So we'll move on then. Type fours, the core need of type fours is to be unique, to be different, right? To bring something, a talent, a skill, a gift that no one else uh, brings to the party, right? If they show up dressed like someone else, somebody's got to go home and change, right? <laughs> um, so It's funny you say that. That's okay. my wife. Yeah, oh, that's my wife. She was a four. And I don't want to call her out too much, but you know, that's exactly what, what it is. It's definitely an interesting standpoint to hear that because I've never thought of it as its own realm, so to speak. Well, and I'll edit this part out if you want me to, but uh, I'll tell you that one of the most interesting combinations uh, of two numbers is a three and a four. And the biggest reason for that is because threes, one of a three's superpowers is just the ability to to wear any kind of hat, to to be the utility player that kind of shows up and becomes whatever is expected or needed of them. Fours, on the other hand, value like radical honesty and authenticity. And so sometimes I call fours like walking BS detectors. And that's so true, though. The fours and threes can struggle sometimes with each other. Yeah. Threes trying to live up to whatever the expectations are around them. And the fours calling the three out for being fake. Right. Or right. Oh, my God. That's. I don't want you to edit that out because that's brilliant because that's exactly <laughs> what it is. No, anyway, we'll, we'll figure that out later about editing. Yeah. It. But I think it'd be great to leave it in for my wife's sake. But um, <laughs> anyhow, uh, yeah. I, I love it because that's exactly what it is. She's a BS detector and I can always tell. And this is the way that she and I do work well together. So if you're a three and you have a four on your team, um, we can go into a party and come out of the other side of the party and or a, an event and – she can have a totally different read on the room than I do. And she can be like, yep. that person's full of crap. That person's full of crap. That yep. dude's genuine. Absolutely. You need to go work with that guy. And so when I was selling insurance, she could be able to tell me, okay, that she, he's going to buy from you or they're not. Or, yes. you know, anyhow. So, yeah, I think that would be a great way for a three and a four. And, I, you know, again, uh, I'm you're not trying to steal it. your thunder. But, again, I'm all in, guys. Yeah. No, you're all over it. And that's a great way to align a team like that. The three has to learn that not every, like, thing is worth trying to win and learn to listen to a four like they're a smoke detector, right? It's not a competition about who can stay in the house the longest. It, the smoke yeah. detector is meant to get you out, right? And listen to that. And so that's, um, yeah, a three, four combination can be really tough, but it can also be incredibly like uh, beneficial if it's done right. It's so just imagine you if that. you knew that going into, oh, you know, yeah. you know, like not, not even saying marriage, but let's say, you know, you right. were an, an agent that hired somebody like that. If you knew that that was her strength versus what your strengths were, I mean, maybe you would get there, but what if you did it five, 10 years earlier than you would have otherwise? No, you're exactly right. Um, so let's, uh, let's move past my wife and I's <laughs> marriage counseling here. <laughs> let's go to five through nine for those that are are listening and tired of hearing about me and Stacy. We'll do it. We'll try not to take as many stops along the way. Um, (laughs) No, I love it. This is fascinating. So fives, the core need of type fives is to know, 
right? Uh, that's what they, they're just knowledge sponges. They're the best people to have on your pub trivia team. They just know stuff, right? <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so you got fives. The core need of sixes is the need to be safe or secure, right? They need to know if they can trust their environment, trust the people that are in charge of it or not. Type okay. sevens have a core need um, to, this one is kind of, kind of weird. People don't always get this one right away, but for sevens, the core need is to avoid pain or to avoid difficulty. That one's confusing because most sevens are really bubbly and outgoing and fun and boisterous and adventurous. Um, but a lot of times that's done in an effort to, to only focus on the good, fun, exciting parts of life. Right. I was about to say, what I've heard, sevens is the enthusiast, or they're a fun-loving type, they're upbeat. Absolutely. So, anyhow, go ahead. Yeah, so they're glass-half-full kind of people, is the thing. <laughs> uh, so, then you move on to the type eights, and the core need of a type eight is to be against something or to, to fight for something. Uh, eights are sometimes called the challenger. They're usually really aggressive and... Uh, but but it's not out of a non-caring. It's usually because they're fighting for something that can't fight for itself. My favorite title for eights is the advocate because they like to advocate for for people or causes or things like that, right? Okay. That's a type eight. And then finally, the core need of type nine is to avoid conflict. You know, that's, that's the name of the game for nines is to avoid conflict. So they're the peacemaker. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so... Again, um, if you're listening to this, this is going to be about me for a minute. So I took <laughs> – and some of you listening to this are, are going to ask these same questions because I put this out on Facebook and I've had my phone and my emails and my text messages blow up with people asking me questions and wanting me to ask you certain questions. So I appreciate that, by the way, Insurance Town. Um, so I have – when I took the test, I had high scores. I had high scores in several different mm -hmm. numbers. So – how does that work? If I scored a, a three and an eight and a one, how does that how does that work? Is just a complementary of each other, or how does that right. work? So everybody's complex, right? There's no no such thing as just a two dimensional person. Our personalities are complex, um, and, but you have one core enneagram type. That does not mean that other ones are not influential, right? So some people have one that stands out far above the rest. Other people have several that that resonate pretty deeply with them. How you know what your core type is, is let's say you got yourself into a situation where the core needs of those numbers came up against one another. So let's say you scored high in, in three, seven, and eight, which is pretty common. Uh, and you got into a situation where you had to choose whether or not you were going to be successful, have fun, or you know be a champion of justice for somebody else, right? Let, let's take a race. For example, if you were running a race and you see those videos of somebody falling down and another, you know, runner picking them up, right? That's a very eight oriented way to do that. You know, a seven might run the race until it's not fun anymore and they might jog the rest or, uh, you know, I, one of my favorite pictures ever was somebody sitting next to a finish line at a race with a, a cooler full of beer and a sign that said free beer for quitters. <laughs> that's awesome yeah yeah um and uh so you know maybe a seven might be like i'm tired of this i'm gonna sit down and have a beer but a three might decide no i'm gonna win this sucker i don't care what other distractions are around me let's get across the finish line right uh, and, and get that trophy right so once those things came up against each other 
you would have to decide which one of those do I care more about. And that would be your core Enneagram type. Okay. And so you could have as, as many as three or four different high scoring types. Is that how that works? I've seen people that have, you know, seven or eight different high scoring ones. Um, and like that's, that's not split like, personality type deal or is it <laughs> always no, that way? Cause it sounds to me like it'd be hard to be, a peacemaker at the same time as someone who's, you know, an achiever who wants to step on people's throats and win. So uh, anyway, go ahead. Well, I mean, it's, so it's not like crazy common for that to happen, but when it does, uh, you're, you're not off the mark there. It can be difficult for those people to make decisions and decide what they're going to do because they feel all of these different things that they're concerned about. Right. Uh, and so that, that does happen. Most of those people, I say most of those, a lot of those people actually tend to end up being uh, Enneagram nines. That's one of the superpowers of the nine is that, uh, that they kind of see everybody's perspective. And so that's, that can be a difficult spot to be in for sure. Yeah, I could imagine. So, okay. So I, I'm not the same guy that I was in my twenties. Correct. Just like you're probably not the same guy you were in your twenties. Right. right. So does someone number change as they evolve into different positions in their company or different parts of their life from, you know, being a 20 year old to a 40 year old or being an agent, so to speak, in an agency to being now the office manager or the principal agent. Now they're the boss. Right. Can those numbers change? Can that happen? So your numbers don't change, but the way you express that number absolutely does. Right. So most people will say that at least in our modern Western society, you kind of settle into whatever your personality or your number is around the age of 20. Right. In our in our culture, 20 is about, you know, give or take about the time when you kind of, you know, quote unquote, find yourself. It's when most kids get out from underneath mom and dad's roof and start having to make decisions on their own. Uh, and 20 is definitely the age where you know the most, right? Uh, and so, you know, 20, 20 year olds always have all the answers. The older you get, you kind of learn that, oh, maybe I didn't know quite as much. <laughs> and, um, and so, what happens is 20 is typically the age that I prescribe for people to try and think about when they are trying to figure out what their Enneagram type is, because that's the age where they were expressing it the most unashamedly. For most people, right? As you get older, you learn that, oh, that doesn't always work super well. And so you have to kind of scale it back a little bit and temper it a little bit. And so the number doesn't change, but the way you express it absolutely does. Okay, cool. I I wondered that because I know I've changed through the years, but also know in agencies, if you move up in different positions, I would think that you would have to change some of your management style. And maybe that's just to fit other numbers. And maybe you'll get into that. Which leads me into, go well, ahead. Well, just let me say, remember, it's about internal motivations, not external okay. actions, right? And okay. So your actions can change just because you are a three and somebody else is a three doesn't mean that your actions are going to be anything alike. It just means that your motivation is going to be very similar. And so your actions absolutely change, but your motivations usually don't. That's good. That's good. Um, okay. So lead me into, okay, Evergreen the company mm-hmm. that he has got based around the Enneagram, everything you do is based around the Enneagram. And I know, talk to me a minute, you work in leadership, communication, teamwork, conflict management, um, hiring and firing and all kinds of things. Um, 
why don't you, can you give me just a, a, a overview, maybe a minute or two overview of what exactly you do for companies and corporations yeah. as they've heard you talk? So Evergreen provides uh, training resources and, and ongoing development for teams to help like build and maintain healthy teams, teams that work together well, that communicate well, that love their jobs, right? And uh, so in doing that, I also work with those team leaders to help them lead their teams better, to craft the way they communicate with their teams, uh, how they respond in times of stress, things like that. So it starts with with a big team training. And then I do ongoing development every month with those teams, whether it's a one hour training meeting or one-on-one leadership coaching with the team leader. Uh, and so that, as well as, you know, several other avenues that I provide those different resources and training and things to those teams. Now, is this a year long process, like two years, five years, six months? I mean, how long is it just however long different contracts? It's month to month for everybody. So okay. I, it's not a thing that has an end date on it. As long as you have a team, you're always going to find your team in new circumstances. Your team is always going to be growing and having, you know, different people come in and out of it. And so that's a big part of it too, is that I do onboarding training for any new hires that people bring in. That's another problem that, that people have with stuff like disc or whatever is you pay somebody a you know, $10,000 to come do something. And then you hire three new people the next month who don't know what you're talking about. And so the language gets phased out. And so for my monthly clients, anytime they hire someone new as part of their contract, I put their new hires through the same training that their team got at the beginning so that everybody's using the same language. If you don't okay, do that, so, it's eventually going to die out. Okay. So uh, tell me from what I gather, Y'all do pre-employment interviews, and I've heard three words, hungry, humble, and smart. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So, you know, I can't take credit. I wish I could for hungry, humble, and smart. Uh, that comes from uh, one of my very favorite, like, leadership and, and teamwork gurus, a guy named uh, Patrick Lincioni, uh, who is out of California, and he has a, a book called The Ideal Team Player, and it is unbelievably good, but that's where hungry, humble, and smart comes from. And so that combined with Enneagram assessments is one of the main ways that I do uh, some of that pre-employment and hiring stuff, making sure that this person is a right fit for your culture and that you have them in the right seat for their strengths, weaknesses, proclivities, things like that, and can already start the process of being a good teammate even before they're officially part of the team. Okay. So that also... With that pre-employment interviews and you've got the training and you're doing all these things, to me, it sounds like it'd be really easy to follow all this when things are good and everything's on a high and you get through all the training. And But do you work with these teams on when things get tough, when they go through hard times? Or do you, do you work with them on some of this stuff too? Yeah. So it's funny that you would ask that right now. I, I obviously can't say who the client is, but I'm working with a firm right now who uh, is in the middle of removing one of the partners for the firm. Uh, and... And I would honestly say that I have been able to bring more value to this client than any that I've ever worked with. I, I talk with them multiple times a week and have helped guide a lot of those conversations on both sides of it um, with both of the partners in the firm and have helped with that, that process to make that exit um, as amicable as possible and to make sure that the team stays encouraged and doesn't uh, get defeated through all this and to help everybody get out the other side better. So I would imagine in that situation, and again, any situation, when you use that as an example, or you can just speak in broad terms, anytime you have two leaders like that, partners or whatnot, 
they have two different leadership styles and two different followings, so to speak. You know, I, I guess there's a lot of work in that as well. And, you know, how, how you go about working with that with two different leadership styles. So what's great is for these companies I work with, I become kind of a neutral third party because I don't, you know, none of them are my boss. And so I'll Switzerland. You become bit, Switzerland. A little bit. Uh, Switzerland that knows each person's personality and communication styles. So I talk with one partner who says, okay, this is what's on my mind. How do I communicate with this other partner about this? And I'll help them craft the way they speak about it. And I'll do the exact same thing with the other person. That way, everybody understands what's being said, what people's needs are. Uh, and there's not communication and confusion because if you have two different people coming at it with two very different styles, like you're talking about, they're going to misunderstand each other. And that just makes the whole process. I mean, it makes it take longer. It makes it more strenuous and stressful. And all of that stuff translates into more time and money wasted. And so if you can cut out the clutter, cut out the confusion and the miscommunication and the friction and the frustration, you're not only going to save yourself a lot of hassle, but you're going to end up saving your company a lot of money. Okay. Uh, and that's incredible that you can see that. And you as a person, it sounds like you get to put on a counseling hat a lot. Um, I try to use the word coaching just to be safe. You know, um, <laughs> counseling right? is, uh, is telling you some things. Coaching is letting you tell me some things. And so uh, I, I'm definitely, I call myself a team consultant and an Enneagram coach. Okay. And so um, that's two different hats in itself right there that you're consulting and coaching. Um, now, and that you have to have those hats in management as well and in leadership. Do you get into that as well and the differences in, you know, mentorship versus coaching versus counseling versus the different leadership hats? Do you get into that as well? Absolutely. Uh, you know, everybody has different leadership styles and I think that everybody has potential for leadership, right? Leadership is just influence. Everybody's a leader regardless of what your actual title is. And so I love getting to work with teams holistically and help each person understand the different ways that they can influence, lead others, you know, around them. Uh, and so, yeah, absolutely. All those different hats come into play. Okay. So let's try to make this somewhat applicable to the salesman in the insurance, in the insurance world. Is there a way that once you've gone through this test with you, that if I'm selling to someone that I could be able to recognize a number they might have to be able to relate to them or to translate into a sale or. So there's a lot of different ways that you actually start to maybe assess what somebody's type is without an assessment, right? You can't know for sure, uh, but you can pretty educated guesses at it just because, you know, we said earlier, even if you have several different types that are influential with you, uh, it doesn't matter if it's your main type or not. If you resonate with something a little bit, then it's helping with that. And so I can tell by, by words people say, phrases that they use, and even body language sometimes. And so when people go through that kind of training, you learn how to pick that stuff up a little bit uh, and, and kind of intuitively. And it could be used in a really bad way. It's one of the things I teach people not to do. It's not about manipulating others, but it's about understanding what others' needs are and meeting better than you would have without understanding that. And so, yeah, I think for a salesperson, if you can use this to try and understand better what the needs are of your potential clients or customers, you can meet their needs better than another you know, agency or whatever that's, that's trying to work with. So working with Evergreen could help their closing numbers go up. 
um, you could help close more deals by working with Evergreen. Uh, agency principals hear that out. Also, with customer service people, if you're on the other end and you've got this guy, and as you know, agencies, you know, you get screamed at a lot or you get, you're working with people in their worst times when their house is yeah. flooded or they've gotten a car wreck. You can be able to read some of that uh, and maybe you can be able to help with that too. Am I right? Absolutely. Um, let me give you a really practical example. You work with a lot of realtors, right? As an industry, yes, we do. Yes, we do. So, so real, like realty work is an area that just, I don't know, it came to mind. I thought it might resonate. Uh, well, is let's say you had a realtor that was trying to sell a house to somebody or not a house. They had somebody looking for a house and they were trying to find a house for them, right? Some Enneagram types, uh, I'm going to use you as an example, as a type three, you know, type threes, one of the things that they care about is perception, right? They want uh, a house that looks awesome, that their neighbors is going to think looks awesome, that their family is going to think looks awesome, right? But there's other types who care more about safety and security, right? And maybe that means the house that isn't the tallest on the street or that you don't even see from the street, right? The, the house with a big hedge in front of it versus the house that everybody can see from the entire cul-de-sac, you know? And so just having that kind of stuff in mind as you try and serve clients is one of the most practical, applicable ways I know of uh, for, for people to use this kind of knowledge. That's a really good example to throw that in there because we do work with realtors a lot. We also work with a lot of mortgage people uh, and lenders who are very influential upon their customers. Um, and so if we know we're working with some of that influential, we've got to learn how to read that because they're the ones who are driving our business a lot of times and driving our referrals. And we're very referral driven. So I'm, I'm imagining using the Enneagram, you could learn how to read those people as well. Not only that, but also to communicate in a way that makes the most sense to them. Because I am high energy, very enthusiastic, very bubbly, happy, you know, my wife calls me dumb, blonde, happy personality. <laughs> uh, no offense to blondes. That's not what I meant. But, you know, and she teased me for just being so happy and energetic. But you say they do that because, you know, risk of being hurt or risk of this or that. Is that, could you talk about that a little bit more for my sevens out no, seven, right? Yeah. For my yeah. sevens out there that are listening, let's dive into your personality a minute. Grab your pen and paper <laughs> and start taking some notes. Yeah. So sevens, you know, I won't say that it's always this way. And I don't mean to make it sound like every single time a seven's trying to have a good time is a defense mechanism. But a lot of times, that is like the the outgoing, excited, fun-loving nature can be kind of a defense mechanism against dealing with more difficult things in life, right? So if a seven has to choose between doing something new and exciting and fun or dealing with something potentially difficult right in front of them, it's very difficult for them to choose the, the more difficult thing that's in front of them. Uh, they have to be very intentional and very strategic in order to do that. So you think that's self-conscious or conscious that they choose the happy, fun, loving? Because what you sound like you're saying to me is it's a conscious decision. Instead of dealing with, you know, something that's scary or something that's difficult, they would rather be here? Is that what you're saying? That's a conscious decision? Uh, well, probably the sevens that are listening to this are going to be conscious of it in the future. So, uh, <laughs> Well, I just want to be honest about it. Yeah. Well, so for most, probably not. Um, you okay. know, they may or may not so, be aware of it, but it certainly doesn't have to be that way. It's just naturally how we are, right? We all have our okay. kind of natural yeah. tendencies. And for sevens, that's definitely one of the natural tendencies. I gotcha. 
So like for me as a three, I don't want to necessarily be this uber competitive a-hole, but it's just like you're <laughs> saying, it's my personality. It's just what naturally comes out of me sometimes, right? Uh, are you looking for an excuse? Is that what's happening here? <laughs> Maybe, but no, back to the seven. So, you know. You oh yeah, that was quick. <laughs> yeah, let's just go back to that a minute. We'll come back to the threes here in a minute. But so for sevens, as, as we're talking about that, if you're with Evergreen and you're seeing, you know, a team that has a couple of sevens on this team, what's the best way to navigate through, you know, any situation with a seven on your team? Right. So I actually had a one-on-one coaching session with a seven yesterday and uh, I gave her a couple of tips. I, I don't think there's any like one huge thing that each number should do. I think there's a lot of different practical steps or applications that you can take to grow uh, in your number. And um, sevens, you know, sevens like exciting, fun, high energy things. And so one of the things I tell sevens to do is to practice boring, right? To, to practice something that's not fun or not super, you know, energetic. Uh, and so it, you know, it sounds like torture to sevens, but I'll tell sevens <laughs> right? to occasionally at the grocery store, choose the longer checkout line, right? Oh, like okay. things like that, that don't matter in the moment, like, but it's practice for when it does matter, right? For when you have to do the thing that is more difficult. Also tell sevens to every day do one small menial task because what will happen is sevens will put off those little tasks until later and they all pile up and then you've got a whole day or week full of terrible, boring tasks. And that is even worse than, you know, the occasional terrible task that a seven might be able to choose on their own. So it's, it sounds a little bit like we might be saying negatively about sevens. What are some of the most positive attributes of a seven and what you could look for on a team with sevens and what you should highlight in a seven, so to speak? Yeah. So a couple of things come to mind really quickly. Um, first of all, is that sevens bring a lot of great energy to a team. Uh, And so, you know, for me, I'm not a high energy individual. And so sevens that I work with can, can bring up that energy, bring up that, um, you know, momentum and and stuff with a team that I might not bring to the team. And so that's one of the great things. The other one that comes to mind is innovation. Sevens are just idea factories. They're always coming up with new ideas to try new uh, initiatives or endeavors or whatever it is. And so, if you're stale and you need some new, sevens can bring some new energy, forward-moving, future-oriented energy to a team. Uh, and so those are a couple of the really great things that sevens can bring to a team. So in a, in a team environment, where do sevens tend to gravitate or what numbers tend to gravitate towards sevens? Is there a specific combo there that you see or is there a hard and fast rule on that? There's certainly not a hard and fast rule. I, I believe and what I tell people is that any number can thrive in any situation and with any other number. So it's not so much about which numbers are paired up as how healthy those individuals are, how aware those individuals are in what number they are, right? Uh, If you're an unaware seven, like you can torpedo any relationship or any role that you're in. And that's true for any number, not just sevens. But if you got two people that are both aware and growing uh, and just in their own personal development, uh, then I think any combination can thrive. That being said, I do think there are some numbers that have some rubs with other numbers that um, are more that I see more often than others. And so I do know that sevens love to 
like I said, try new things and, and maybe sometimes color outside the lines a little bit, if you will. Uh, and so numbers that tend to struggle with that uh, are like myself, a one can really struggle with that. Uh, fives and sixes can also struggle with that for all their different reasons. I mean, if you think about what their core needs are, right? As a one, my core need to be perfect and to be accurate. Whereas a seven is just, you know, shooting shotgun blast ideas in every direction. Uh, you can see how those would be in conflict. Now, I'm not saying that's all the seven's fault. The one, like myself, has to do the work to be flexible on that stuff as well. It's always a group effort. And so, yeah, I, I don't think there's magic combinations. I do think that every combination can have its benefits as well as its pitfalls, you know, just to go back to the one seven combo. Uh, I just actually did a, a podcast this last week. It was released uh, where it's a one and a seven together uh, in a work environment talking about how they made that work in a really, really cool way. And so there's a lot of benefits to that too. So it just depends on the situation and the people involved. Oh, well, so uh, I like that in the one seven. I think that's fascinating that you said that the one and the seven may sometimes have difficulties because you as a one and the coach, you know, coaching that seven yesterday had to have been fun for you or, you know, interesting for you to challenge yourself in that and for them to yeah. challenge themselves in working with you. So, and last week, um, and again, I don't want to dive into this too much because I've heard a lot of people laughing about it and think it was great. But you did find some fascinating things, you said to me anyway, about a 3-4 relationship, which mm -hmm. I thought was interesting because it was very true. And a recap from last week, if you haven't listened to the episode, go back to it. But I'm a 3 and my wife's a 4. And what you said about the 4, you know, thanks a lot for that, by the way. Now she uses that on me all the time as, you know, uh, ammo. <laughs> but... You know, you said that the fours are a lot of times a, a BS detector and, and they can mm -hmm. read a room and decide, you know, and they're usually calling out the person that's the three. <laughs> and so <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, great premarital, or not premarital, but marital counseling for me. So uh, yeah. anyhow, it was fun. And now she's having a good time with that. But anything else on that three, four combo? Because I found that fascinating. If you wanted to, to dive into a little bit of that. Yeah, so... You know, I don't remember exactly everything that we talked about. Uh, I do know I usually talk about in a three-four combination. You know, one of the that that is a difficult combination. It can be because the three is so good at putting on a different mask. You know, in different situations, and fours usually just hate masks because they love authenticity, and so there can be some real friction there for sure. Uh, but there's also good lessons that they can learn from each other. Threes need to learn from fours about how to be open and authentic and their real selves. And fours need to learn from threes on how to have tact with other people and not just be, you know, a blunt like call out against everything that they see just because, I mean, gosh, if that's all you ever do, then people will eventually turn you off. And so it's, it's a trade-off and everybody has to learn from each other. And so I think as much tension as there can be between a couple of numbers like a three and a four, there's also a whole lot to learn there. Uh, yeah, completely. Um, you know, I, I loved the combinations that you talked about with that, the three, four, and I've loved what you said about one, seven. Is there any other interesting combinations that you see in a work environment that, that combo well, or that can be a complete polar opposite that are danger, danger, danger situations? <laughs> Yeah. So let's see. I'll think through some of the ones I see commonly. Uh, I work with one organization that's led by a three, but the staff is overwhelmingly twos. Uh, and that um, 
that has, again, just like any combination has its, its pros and cons. What can be difficult about that is, you know, threes are super driven a lot of the time and twos love to help. And so the twos will just help, 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 and can eventually run themselves into the ground. The three doesn't know that there's an issue because the twos seem like they want to help. And so they just keep pushing. And eventually the twos, though, will get burned out on that. And so it's really important for that kind of a combination to understand the three needs to know, hey, twos are going to have a lot of trouble saying no. And I'm going to throw out a lot of things they could say yes to. And if I'm not careful, I will eventually run them dry. And twos, on the other hand, need to know that, you know, that's going to happen and that they need to be self-aware and able to to learn how to say no to some of those things or find the parameters of what specifically their job requirements are. If the twos and the threes in that situation can do that, I mean, that's a power combination. The three has so much vision and so much drive. And if they're surrounded by twos who are willing to help with that, good grief. Like if you do it in a healthy way, you can accomplish as much as anybody else uh, and more so. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with that and from what you're saying. Um, so we've touched on ones a little bit, twos, threes, fours. I don't want to, I don't want to leave anybody out. Yeah. Uh, is there, let, let's, okay. You said, talk about the fives for just a minute. Um, what are, what's the main characteristic there in a five? And let's, let's talk about that for just a minute. Yeah. So fives are the ones that need to know those are your researchers. And so uh, they are incredible at that. Like if you're needing information, if you're needing to gather that kind of stuff, you better have at least one five in that group because they will do that work and they'll do it well. The struggle for a lot of fives though is actually taking that information and doing anything with it. Fives tend to have trouble taking action, right? Making decisions and moving the ball forward. And so they can be um, paired up with some more action-oriented numbers like a three, like a seven, or like an eight uh, who are all about you know taking action and, and moving forward. And so if an eight can learn to be patient enough to work with a five and a five can learn to uh, not take, you know, an eight's words or actions as an assault on themselves, they can be a really good combination as well because eights often take action without all the information and fives typically have all the information and fail to take action. And so if you compare those up, it's a great combination. That sounds like a great combination. And so, Back to the fives, the researcher type. When you say research, uh, what would that, how would that? I mean, so admitting my own ignorance of some of the insurance, of insurance. industry. Yeah, yeah, no, um, I get it. What, I, what did come to mind when you said that was like, I know there are independent agents, right? Who can sure. shop a lot of different carriers. Uh, and like a five, I think would kill some of that, you know, because Makes some sense. people don't feel like they have time to shop all the different options, but fives don't get drained by that usually. And so I could see a five. I mean, any number can do research well, well of but course. a five yeah, would yeah. just love to dive into that and find the best information possible uh, on the different okay. options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or, you know, a difficult risk that comes across the table for a commercial account of finding carriers to do that. That makes sense. Um, and so, you brought up an eight in that combo. Uh, tell me a little bit more about an eight, what that number is, 
characteristic traits and so forth. So eights, you know, this may sound bad, but stick with me. Eights, um, (laughs) eights, eights are typically the most like aggressive number and, and, and it shows. And I think most of them know that about themselves and certainly the people that they work with know that about them, but what's misunderstood and hear me, eights are very misunderstood is that eights are not just bullies. I mean, an unhealthy eight will be a bully, but Healthy eights can still be as aggressive as they normally would be without bullying people. The reason why eights can come across so aggressive is just because they're passionate. Eights are so passionate and love to step in and speak up on behalf of people that that maybe are weaker or aren't represented well. Um, eights are fighters and they, they love to fight on behalf of other people. I think um, that's fascinating that you said that and I'll let you finish. Sorry, but no, you're good. I get, like I said, I've gotten uh, probably a dozen text messages or emails, uh, which, by the way, thank you, from a lot of insurance agents and people that listen to this show who are insurance professionals, and most of them were eights. Hmm. A lot of them were eights. So I thought it was fascinating. I had a lot of eights, a lot of threes, a lot of ones and twos. Um, but the, the eights were overwhelmingly um, you know, brought up, you know, when I asked them what their number was, they would say, you know, I hope you do a follow up. I want to learn more about eight. So that's why I want to dive in here. Um, but I do find that fascinating because our industry is filled with a lot of people who are passionate, uh, yeah. a lot of people who care about their clients, a lot of people who want, you know, because if you ask any insurance agent, what sets you apart from the next insurance agent, they're going to say, customer service you know and again mm. if we all say that then you know we got to figure out something different obviously we can't <laughs> all be good at customer service but i find that fascinating you said that they're passionate people that want to fight for the next person or stand up for their clients and you know i'd love for you to dive in more on that because that's a lot of my listeners right now are eights uh, so again sorry to interrupt you but i just want to give you a little context there because i do yeah. find out i do think a lot of insurance people in my 20 years of doing this are very passionate people yeah well so a couple of thoughts on eights. You know, yesterday actually, I was doing a, a team training with a company, and and it was uh, we're, I forget what we were even talking about, but somebody made a point that was a really good point, and the eight in the room stepped in and say said something like, "Hey, just so you know, this person sitting next to me, who was a two, I think, said that about." 10 minutes ago. Right. And it was the eight stepping up and like defending someone else who wasn't fighting for themselves. Uh, And, and we all thought that was really interesting. I was like, Oh, and there's the eight chiming in on behalf of someone else. Right. And, and eights will do that. Uh, A couple other things about eights um, when they're particularly unhealthy, eights will tend to take on a lot of extra responsibility that no one asked them to. Right. And, and then they can get burned out or even bitter over that. Like, why do I have to do all this stuff? The reality is that you don't have to, you took that on for yourself. Right. And so eights, uh, can do that. Eights usually respond really well to people being very direct and authoritative with them. That's just how they tend to communicate. And so that's how they receive communication as well. I had a friend who is leading a company and he had an eight that was working for him that he was having some issues with. And I told him, Hey, look, you need to just be straightforward with this person. Tell them, listen, I'm the boss. This is what your job is. This is what's expected of you. You can do other things, but if you don't do these things, this isn't going to work out. And ever since then, he says that that's his best employee. Really? Yeah. Because eights are like, okay, you're the boss deal. I can deal with that. Uh, And so 
eights are, I love eights and eights are mountain movers, right? They're not afraid of any challenge. Probably one of the other awesome things, especially if you're ever in an environment where you have more than one eight, everybody else that's not an eight will tend to think that the two eights are always fighting with each other. It's really funny to watch because, and I have an office in mind when I say this, where there's two eights. One is the boss uh, and the other one is one of the employees and they're kind of at opposite ends of the, the office. And, and so they will yell back and forth at each other down the hallway. And up until we did like a team training with them, everybody else thought that they were fighting with each other. But the reality was that these people were best friends and eights like a good sparring match. They want to know, what do you really believe? What do you stand on? Do you actually care? Are you willing to stand up and fight for something? And so it's actually almost like a sign of respect whenever you bow up to an eight a little bit and, and they'll be like, okay, you believe in something. Good for you. I can respect that. And it's really fun. Oh, that is fun. If somebody is a three, seven, or eight, it's really common for them to be you know, have a lot of those other two numbers in them, right? So as a three, it's not uncommon for you to identify a lot with sevens and eights. Those three numbers are all what's called like aggressive stance numbers. And so there's a lot of similar energy there. The other thing I'll say is that the insurance industry is probably great for threes because uh, at least from what I know, uh, you know, most of insurance industry, your, your benefits and pay are all based strictly on performance, right? Like how many new clients you can go out and get and all that kind of stuff, right? Oh yeah. Is that true? And so that is very true. A lot of commission based. A yeah, lot of commission based employees. Commission based stuff. Yeah. And uh, a lot of, of the uh, lately anyway, I've noticed a lot of the customer service employees, even if they're W two employees, it's incentive laden. And so mm-hmm. if they know they have to win to get paid or they're going to get a bonus based upon this, they're going to jump right in there and do it. Um, so yeah, you're right. A lot of the insurance industry is either incentive laden or it's uh, commission W, you know, 1099 right. type employees. So yeah. Um, okay. So uh, we've hit several numbers. Now, the one that is most interesting to me because I'm not anywhere close to this number. It's the nine. Okay. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the nine. And you're, and you're smiling real big. Uh, what is, what is that? What's that about? Is the nine oh, a number or is it just about me not being a nine? No, just about you not being a nine that uh, I'm not surprised at all by that. Um. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Go ahead. Um, I'm interested to see more about the nine now because that number, when I look at it, jumps out of the page at me a little bit. Yeah. So nines, man, a healthy nine is such a, a blessing to a team. Like nines have this ability more so than any other number to to bring cohesion, to, to bring um, harmony and understanding to a team because the superpower of nines, if you will, is perspective, right? If you see the actual Enneagram like drawing, nines sit on the very top of it. And, and that is very fortunate because it illustrates very well that nines have this overarching perspective on all the other numbers. In fact, nines can sometimes struggle to figure out which number they are because they can see everybody else's perspectives really pretty easily. And so, you know, an unengaged nine, an unhealthy nine is just afraid of conflict and wants to keep their head down, not rock the boat, not get involved. But a healthy nine will engage with the group and and try to make peace and help people understand each other's perspectives. They make the best mediators whenever they're healthy. And so, if you got conflict or you got differing ideas, things like that, 
Nines are your people whenever you need groups of people to understand each other better. So knowing what we know now about eights, do eights and nines class or work well together? You know, that's a really good question. And um, eights and nines are such an interesting combination. And I, I almost brought it up earlier because, uh, and this isn't everybody's experience, but in my personal experience, I know more married couples that are eights and nines than any other number combination. And it's typically uh, a female eight with a male nine, not always, but that Sounds again, scary. <laughs> well, if they can figure out the rules around it, it can work super well. You know, one of the misunderstandings with eights is that people think eights just want you to get out of their way. But like I said before, eights are actually looking to see what you believe in. And so if you just roll over and get out of the way, they eights can actually lose respect. And so that's where eights and nines can struggle. If the nine is just like, yeah, whatever you want is great. You know, eights, will have trouble respecting that person. So nines have to learn how to stand up against the eight sometimes. And eights have to learn how to not be just crazy passionate about every single thing or expect the nine to be crazy passionate about it. If they can do that, I mean, that's another great, uh, great couple or a great team. Uh, if you're in a work environment, because eights are going to move the ball forward and nines are going to make sure that everything is smooth sailing around it. Okay. Now another combo that I think about in my head, and again, I'm still a beginner. I'm fascinated by the Enneagram. I'm still learning. What is the combination? How do you work with a nine? You're a one mm-hmm. and you, you think, you know, you do it better than everyone else, but that nine, <laughs> how does, how does that work? You know, do you see that combo often, how that works and plays together? Uh, I've definitely seen it. Some, uh, you know, ones and nines, uh, I, I love a nine. Like, I, I don't know that there's usually a ton of tension between a one and a nine. Nines are just typically the most easygoing and agreeable number on the whole thing. And and I um, I have some nine in me for sure. Not a ton, but I, I can get it. And so a lot of times for me, if I'm working with a nine, the reason why I want to be right or I want to be accurate is because I think everything will work together better in, in harmony to use nine language if, you know, everybody adheres to these rules. Um, and so, you know, it was funny, like yesterday, my wife and I were driving around and I guess I missed the memo, but yesterday was crazy driver day. Like uh, it was insane. The number of, right. I think everybody, everybody in the town you live in drives terribly. So go ahead. (laughs) I, there's a roundabout near my house and I've literally come up to that roundabout with someone going in it in reverse. Oh my Lord. Yeah, Conway has roundabouts in every street. I, don't believe. I love roundabouts, man. I oh, absolutely I love them. them. I absolutely no, hate them. But th- sidebar for a minute on roundabouts. But, but, but this person, I guess, missed their turn, which a roundabout, if you're ever going to miss a turn, the roundabout's the place you want to be, right? Because it's just going to come around again. Yeah, but, it reminds me of the National Lampoons and they're going around, there's the Apple Tower kids. <laughs> there's the Apple Tower kids. And they yes. just keep going anyway. Well, so yesterday as we're driving around and people are forgot to take their, uh, I don't know, stuff to keep them from being crazy drivers, whatever that is. <laughs> we need more of that here. Um, yeah. They, um, I kept saying, I'd get frustrated at stuff because people weren't, you know, quote unquote, playing by the rules. And if everybody would just play by the rules, then everybody would you know, be able to drive and get where they need to go and not have unpredictability in the middle of it. Um, And so that's kind of my one nine merging a little bit 
is, hey, do it this way because it'll be better for everybody. Does that make sense? Sure. What are some of the things that Evergreen does within some of those teams and some of the different ways you could help some of my listeners? Yeah. So Evergreen really focuses on organizational health, right? Growing, crafting, and maintaining healthy teams that, that thrive, right? Regardless of the situation. And so sometimes that's things like helping teams manage conflict, right? Inner, inner office conflict. Sometimes it's helping with the hiring process. I've also had to help with the firing process, right? Uh, I've, I've done team building stuff. A lot of it is kind of HR related things, but not the paperwork side of HR, if, if that makes sense. Uh, and so just helping teams get along and not spend their time and energy being frustrated or with miscommunication so that they can spend that time and energy doing their jobs and doing it, um, you know, without being slowed down by all those other things that tend to gum up the works for a lot of teams. Okay, that's awesome. Um, and so um, what, what's the time frame you normally work with a team? Um, yeah. Or is there a big, let me ask you this, in the beginning, is there a lot of pre-work that goes in for you with the CEO or the office manager or whatever, or one-on-one -on -one individual counseling, not counseling, one-on-one -on -one coaching with people before you get into team? How's that work? So the first thing that I do with any client, regardless of what's going to happen next, is always a team training right? So we get the whole team together and we do an Enneagram training, which covers the basics as well as some of the stuff we're talking about today, what it looks like for these numbers uh, to work together. And it's, you know, customized to whoever's in the room, right? So uh, I'll go back to that one I was talking about before. That's a business that's led by a three, but is mostly twos, right? So we spend a lot of time diving into what that means. Uh, and so from there, you know, some companies I'll just do a one-time training with and they can take the ball and run with it. But for most of my clients, it becomes an ongoing relationship where I'm doing stuff monthly with them. Uh, now I have different companies at different levels. So some companies I just meet with for one hour, like an hour workshop every month to bring a little new piece of content and work through, through something together. Did that with a team yesterday where we broke their, uh, organization up into different departments. And we kind of gave an Enneagram number to each of their departments and then talked about how that worked with their personal Enneagram numbers and what that meant for their jobs and their performance, and their ability to succeed there. Uh, and so, but other companies I'll meet with multiple times a month for a training session like that, a coaching session where I don't bring any new content. We just work through whatever's going on in their company right then and there. Uh, I'll also spend an hour or two every month with whoever the leader of the team is to help them uh, work through potentially some personnel issues they might have. Hey, I'm having trouble with this person and this person. How do I talk to them about that? So I'll help them craft language and set up objectives for those interactions that they have. Um, I'll also help, you know, again, some teams at different levels, I'll help with hiring. So I've got a company right now that's asked me to do some pre-employment training with some people that they're probably going to hire just to make sure that they're a good fit for the company and for the culture that they want to create there. And so there's a lot of different services, but it's all around organizational health, making sure that teams are set up to thrive for the long haul. I think the pre-employment interviews and whatnot is something that is interesting to discuss because, and I wonder with you, if you're working with the office manager or the HR person that's hiring and doing the pre-interview, do you come in and help them identify, okay, this guy or girl you're interviewing is a 
four. Uh, you might want to watch out for these things. Or you've got, or it's a situation where you might say, this girl's a four or guy's a four. You've already got seven fours. You may not need another four. Or can you still, how's that? Sorry, I'm rambling. Go ahead. No, you're good. Uh, so I never tell people, oh, this person is this number, therefore don't hire them, right? Again, I don't You just got to help them that. navigate around that number or help yeah, so work saying, with hey, that number. If you're going to hire this person, here's what you need to know, and here's some ways that you yeah. can really succeed, and here's some things to avoid. Uh, and just, yeah, because again, I believe that any number can be successful in any role. There are certainly sure. things that some numbers might be better or worse at, but I, I, I don't, and I know people to do this, but I do not disqualify anybody based on what Enneagram number they test as. I mean, for a lot of different reasons, but I will help right. leaders find how to work with that person. Well, one of the things I found interesting last week, um, I, uh, well, the week before you, I interviewed a guy named Brian Klingscales. And what they do, if you listen to that episode, I had a lot of people comment on this. He does team interviews where he'll have the whole team together interview yeah. new guy and to see how the whole team. And I thought that was fascinating. I, yes. I'd never heard that concept used very often. I shouldn't say never, but I hadn't heard it used often. I find that fascinating. Is that something you would recommend to other people that are listening to this? Absolutely. Um, team interviews, you know, it, it may not be feasible to get the whole team in on it, but grab one or two people from different departments to bring into it. And also, I even recommend separate interviews with different people from the company. Uh, and what I'll help people do is actually work together to make sure you get the information that you need out of those different interviews. So let's say you were potentially hiring somebody, you might spend some time with them. And then I'll help you craft a little report to give to the next person that's going to interview them so they know what to look for, what to ask about. And that way, it, you're not just getting the same thing over and over again, but you're actually using one interview to inform the next interview to make sure that you dig deep enough to find out if they're really, truly a fit for your organization or not. Oh, that's good. Um, and I, I really loved that Brian brought that up with the team interviews because I think that's really cool. And I figured you'd have a stance on that. And I wonder as well, uh, will you send certain numbers in or do you think it's fascinating to, or different perspectives to have different numbers interview or do you see a difference in that? I think there's definitely value in that. The way that different numbers communicate, the kinds of questions they ask are all going to be different. And so, I mean, if you had just the same number interview, like multiple times, this, you know, three different people that were all, you know, sixes, they're all probably going to ask similar or similarly minded questions, I suppose. And so I think there's definitely value in, in that. Um, I also, though, would train people to ask questions that are geared around company values, uh, which, you know, regardless of what number you are, understanding the company values and then how you can ask interview questions around that, uh, I would say is more important than, than which number is doing the interview. You know, I think it's fascinating talking about pre-employment interviews. And then, you know, my question now would be is once you hire that person or let's say you go on a hiring thing and you hire four or five people and you've already got synergy within your existing team, do you immediately go into another team training to incorporate the new people or is that something you just incorporate them as they go along? So for all of my monthly clients, I actually, as part of their ongoing package with me, they get 
monthly onboarding training. And so any new person that they hire will get the same training that the team got at the very beginning. And so I've actually got like one of those scheduled next week with a company where they've hired a couple new people. I'm going to sit down with those two people, take them through that same training. That way they are on the same page as the rest of the team, understand the language and the framework. And we'll even talk about how their numbers interact with the people that are already on the team. That way, you know, it keeps going and no one's left out of the conversation. Okay. So let's, uh, let's begin the wrap up with this bonus episode with a couple other questions that I have. So with Evergreen, tell me or tell the audience, tell me whatever the, the biggest way that you feel like Evergreen can help a business. You talked about pre-employment, you've talked about identifying, you know, different numbers and what they do together, but what's the biggest thing that you guys can do? What's your biggest strength, I should say, as a company? You know, I think the biggest thing that our training does is allows allows people to take off the the parking brake, if you will, right? If you've ever tried to drive a car and didn't know the parking brake was on, the car will move, right? You can drive a car with a parking brake on, uh, but it is it is rough on the car. It's rough on the brake. It starts to smell bad and sound terrible. And what happens in a lot of companies, they don't know it, but a lot of companies are trying to drive with the parking brake on, right? They're trying to get things done and accomplish things, but it's like everybody in their company, you know, has their different hangups and frustrations and frictions and all that. And so what we do, the training that we offer helps people figure out how to take the parking brake off. Everybody's still going in the same direction. You're just going to do it a whole lot faster and a whole lot smoother than you would have if people remained unaware of of their self, of their personalities, and how those personalities can work together. I think that's a great analogy with the parking brake thing. So uh, you you guys do that well, and, and that is uh, a staple that you do with every with every company you work with, and. What is, uh, do you have some advice that you could give right now for a team leader or something like that when you're, um, when you're looking to hire someone like you or, or Evergreen? Yeah, uh, I would just say to, to look into it for yourself. You know, if, if you haven't done the research on this for yourself to find out what your personality type is, what the strengths and weaknesses of that are, I think just doing that will be a huge benefit to you personally. And just imagine if everybody that you worked with started doing that too, how much better that would make your team, how much more productive it would make your team. Uh, and then I, I don't think you'll have much trouble convincing yourself to, to implement this at a company or a, a team level once you do that. Okay, I think that's, I think that's dead on. I think uh, once, I think as a CEO or an office manager, whoever the person, HR director is hiring you, once you can understand it yourself, or once you can figure out what your number is and buy into the Enneagram, it's got to make it easier for them to lead the team in this exercise, right? Absolutely. Yep. Every time. I think whenever uh, our mutual friend in Conway introduced us together and started talking about the Enneagram, my first thoughts were, as we talked about last week, I've taken so many of these dang personality tests. It's just another one, whatever. Yep. I'm not going to do it. But the moment I did it, just as a fun thing for my wife and I to do, I was all in once I yeah. could understand it. And which is the reason why I called you to come on the show. And I feel like you've got to see that, that when that yeah. light bulb comes on 
that's got to be a cool moment for you. Oh yeah. It's, um, I love it, you know, in the middle of a training and describing a number and somebody's jaw just hits the floor. And then I have to convince them that I haven't been following them around. Right. It's just, (laughs) it's human nature. And, um, yeah, that's one of my favorite moments for sure. That's fantastic. And that's like when we're describing coverage to a, a, to a client or we're trying to explain a policy or we're trying to do something and you can see that light bulb go off and they're like, Oh, that's why, okay, I need to purchase that or I need to up my coverages there or whatever. And, you know, it's the same thing. So yeah, we get it as an industry. So, um, I guess, uh, I'll leave it kind of like I do. Again, I've never done a bonus episode. This is fun for me. Uh, Last week, uh, I had you leave with advice or anything you would like to share with the audience. I guess we'll do the same here uh, on this episode. Uh, If you want to do a sales pitch for Evergreen, that's fine too. Whatever you want to do with this last three to five minutes, uh, take the floor. And uh, if we still get comments, we may have to do a third episode one day. Uh, But (laughs) take the floor. Uh, the dance floor is yours. Do whatever jig you want. <laughs> well, I admittedly am not much of a dancer as an Enneagram one because I can't do it perfectly. So therefore, I would not do it. Um, but so you're uh, not better than me at dancing, then. So I got uh, you on that one. No, I, there's a lot of things that I am not the best at, and you probably won't see me do very many of those things. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, All right, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, you. Go ahead. No, you know, I I won't spend too much time on it because I feel like a lot of this has been, uh, you know, a little bit of a pitch. Now, do I want more clients? Absolutely. But I want people who are excited about building the best team that they can and care about their employees, uh, their teams around them and want to invest in those people, uh, both for the good of those people, but also just for the betterment of their team and organization in general. I believe that if the people on the teams get better, the teams get better. And if teams get better, your company gets better. And so if that's what you want, I can help make that happen. Oh, come on, man. That was just, that was too humble and too easy. I mean, I was expecting you to go on this, you know, wonderful diatribe. That just shows your humility there. And so I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, So guys, I really, if you're listening to this show and you're an agency owner, agency principal, agency office manager, whatever it may be, or if you're listening, you just think my team needs better synergy, uh, reach out to Ryan. Um, Let's do this, Ryan. You did it last week, but let's do it again. Let's leave some contact information, uh, email address, phone number, hit him with all your social things. Oh, and do one more thing. This is my podcast again, so I can talk about what I want to. Um, Why don't you spend a few minutes? You have your own podcast called? Called Another Enneagram Podcast. That's right. I figured there was a bunch of them out there. I would just call it Another Enneagram Podcast. Right. Yeah. So why don't you, you know, give your contact and then, you know, share a little bit about your podcast. Let's send some people that direction and um, tell them that uh, you shared this, your last podcast with me on yours. Yeah. So if they want to listen to it again. <laughs> yeah. So another Enneagram podcast, uh, basically myself and my co-host, whose name's Cody, get on there and we talk about how the Enneagram can help leaders lead their team better. Right. And so, you know, the topic may vary from week to week, but that's 
typically the general direction we go in. And so, yeah, I would love to have people jump over there and check it out. Uh, if you want to find out more information, uh, then the best place to go is to the website, which is evergreenteams.com. Again, evergreen spelled weird. It's E-V-R-G-R-N. So evergreenteams.com. And if you want to reach out to me, you can do that pretty easy at hello at evergreenteams.com. Uh, awesome. And the other thing um, that I find fascinating, and I'm going to give you one more plug opportunity, <laughs> Cricket. Tell me about cricket and your fascination with cricket, and then we'll let this podcast go finally. I'll put it to rest. But for the audience yeah. out there that doesn't know, this guy has a podcast about cricket, not like the <laughs> chirping animals or the chirping, chirping insects, but the right. game cricket. How did you in, Ar right. in Arkansas find out about cricket and get a love for the game of cricket? <laughs> well, um, before I lived in Arkansas, so I'm, I'm not native to Arkansas. Before I lived here, I actually lived uh, in India for a while. And I mean, cricket is nearly a religion there. And so fell in love with it and uh, loved to play it, loved to watch it. And, um, and yeah, so we, we did start a podcast. We're kind of on hiatus with that. I mean, sports are not really happening, so it's difficult to have a sports podcast. So I don't know when that will come back, but um, okay. it's called Around the Wicket we'll see where it goes that's crazy uh i just never even heard of cricket really i had to wikipedia <laughs> it before but anyhow second biggest so, sport in the world that's wild i never knew that i just thought it was some dumb thing that rich people played but um <laughs> anyway apparently it's quite the contrast uh contrary but uh all right i'm gonna finally let this one go put it to bed uh thank you for coming on again yeah i really appreciate and we could do a, a bonus episode and if the people keep asking, I'm either going to just have them call you or we're going to do a third one. But I really do appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for checking out the remix with my man, Ryan Mayfield, uh, talking about Enneagram. He's such a good dude. Evergreen's a great company. If you want some training in your office, if you want to do some of that, go to evergreenteams.com. You can find him on LinkedIn as well under Ryan Mayfield. He's the man. Uh, thank you so much for checking it out. If you have an idea for your own show, reach out to Ready, Set, Podcast. It's getreadysetpodcast.com. And all you have to do is hit the record button. They do all the rest. Tell them I sent you. Thank you so much. And I look forward to hanging out with you on the next one.